Hello and welcome back to the Historical Humans Podcast. My name is Justin Woods and I'm joined today by my wonderful co-hosts Gwendolyn Allen and Colm Coleman. And it is February, which means it is almost Valentine's Day, which is coming up here really, really soon. So we thought it'd be great to talk about one of the greatest aspects of Valentine's Day. One that I don't think of as talked very much. But first, let's build the scene a little bit. The year is 1920. Babe Ruth's trade to New York to the New York Yankees just became public. The U.S. Senate votes against joining the League of Nations, and the 18th Amendment was ratified, explicitly prohibiting the manufacture, sale, and consumption of alcohol. What we're talking about is prohibition. Colm, do you want to take us away on uh, this wonderful little prohibition? All right, so uh, strap in here because we've got nine years of... Uh a background to cover before we get to our lovely main event, which uh, is going to remain a bit of a secret. So stick around. Um, if you've guessed already, leave it in the comments below. No peeking. Gotta build the anticipation, you know? I'm just dying uh, with suspense. Hey, I gotta do, I gotta pull out gimmicks from somewhere, don't I? <laughs> All right. So it's a uh, prohibition era in the roaring twenties. Uh, alcohol has been made in, completely illicit substance in the United States, thanks to the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Uh, so that's no beer, no wine, no hard liquor, no spirits of any kind. It's all gone. Uh, federal government uh, is uh, literally burning alcohol in the streets, uh, smashing barrels and kegs to dump it in uh, mass as they purge uh or at least attempt to purge the United States of all its alcohol. And they also poisoned oh, quite a few barrels of alcohol to the point where people ended up dying because the government was literally poisoning these bottles of alcohol. And they're just like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Yep. Yeah. And this, uh, this lovely little uh, status quo lasted from 1920 to 1933 wow. when Prohibition was repealed by the 21st Amendment uh, to the United States Constitution, which um, effectively just said the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution uh, no longer stands as valid. <laughs> so we've got 13 years. And during these 13 years, uh, since alcohol remains in demand and is illegal, it falls into uh, its manufacture and sale fall into the hands of criminal organizations. This brings about the rise of, uh, well, the mobster era. And Callum, quick fun fact. Do you know which U.S. president received most of his family fortune from bootlegging? I'm sure you're about to tell me, but no. <laughs> it was one John Fitzgerald Kennedy whose father worked in smuggling Kennedy. alcohol in from Canada. The Man, Ke the Kennedys get so interesting the more you learn about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the the original uh, John Kennedy made quite a quite a few million working for the mob out of Boston. Yep. And you know, we here at uh, Historical Humans are based out of Chicago, so... You yes. know, we uh, we enjoy a lot of mob history uh, there was no, being from this fine city. There's uh, no prominent mobsters from our city, Colm. What do you mean? <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. We enjoy, joke, uh, like... we enjoy alternative businessmen. We have a squeaky <laughs> yes. clean image. According to Bing. According to yes. Bing. Alternative <laughs> businessmen. Gotta love the hustle. As you can guess, Gwen looks things up by binging it, uh, which should tell you what <laughs> era of history she's from. on my computer. I have to specifically click to have Google. And sometimes Bing isn't a bad search engine. The Mandela Again. effect is real. Gwen's from an alternate universe where Bing yeah. took over. <laughs> I mean, I am weird enough to be from an alternate universe. That's not incorrect. Hoddly hoddly, neighborino. Anyway, anyway, bootlegging. Uh, anyway, bootlegging, which is the uh, manufacture, sale, and distribution of alcohol, becomes a key component of the criminal underworld, alongside extortion, gambling, and racketeering, uh, as well as bribery. And this 
comes together to form a very wealthy, very uh, powerful criminal underground. Because evidently, when you make it so that only criminals have access to a highly in-demand, very profitable industry, those criminals will amass wealth and power. Also, like, gotta love that the uh, amendment to the Constitution just, like, flooded the power gates for mobsters and criminals. Uh, just gotta love that, that the uh, the senators and representatives were like, we're making America great. <laughs> it's I, like, no, you're making the, the crime great. But okay. I just love how it took them 13 whole years to go. And, and second thought, it's not the same. And the part that I find really interesting column that you mentioned earlier is the roaring twenties. Cause I always have this thought in my mind of like these Gatsby like parties that are happening. And I could very, very hardly imagine any of those without any sort of alcohol, especially like champagne. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the, a lot, a lot of times if you were a socialite or if you had money, Law did not apply to you. You you could be seen yeah. with alcohol. No one cared because you had money. It was you know part of the party, and you, it it just wasn't uh, it wasn't enforced uh, so for a lot of people. Uh, for the, for a lot <laughs> yeah. of the working class types, uh, yeah, the police will kick down your door and uh, smash your bathtub to get at the booze and moonshine you're making in there. Yeah, Which, and I mean, it's not like the police were um, what we know of today. Yeah, I was going to say they're incredibly corrupt. So as long as you have money, I mean, you had like speakeasies, which I think is probably my favorite thing to come from the prohibition because I love secret doorways and things. So I love that a lot of buildings got those built into my yeah. my personal favorite side effect of prohibition is nascar because a lot of bootleggers would hot rod their cars and make them go faster faster than the police cars chasing after them so bootleggers would hot rod their cars and that led to the first organized racing oh my gosh fast and furious 1920s yes effectively like imagine your great grandpa fleeing the cops in some souped up old vehicle with bottles rattling around in the trunk like dust getting kicked up okay but but, but you know my my family of course you know my family's connection to like Al Capone with like the real estate and everything, but my great grandpa actually did used to buy and sell cars and like do his own maintenance on them. So I think well, so I, I can definitely envision that. Yeah, what? if I was audience, how, how would I know about your family's connection to the mob? I <laughs> it's a aside from the public arrest connection. <laughs> that was a that was a. Audience, don't listen to that. It was just to keep the secret. We're upstanding <laughs> citizens all. We swear we just come <laughs> from Chicago uh, yeah. and we're talking about the mob. Hey, I for the uh, record, I do not have any familial connections to Al Capone nor his criminal mafia. We were Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so not that mafia, just the other one. Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to leave uh, some room for interpretation, okay? Okay, yeah, going yeah, to the north side gang here checking. apparently anyway so over the course of 13 years uh that prohibition is in effect um prohibition is one very unpopular and two the uh mobsters get richer and begin to consolidate uh power and thus uh the conflicts between them for territory and resources and wealth uh begins to escalate and I think uh, I think this is a good time to sort of segue into uh, the stars of our show here. Uh, one, Al Capone, um, seen here on this lovely little card we have, uh, courtesy of Mayfair Games Family Business. We are not sponsored, but this is where we get uh, some of the lovely images you'll be seeing today. Yep. Got his trading card. <laughs> this is a, this is a game card. One, Al Capone of the Chicago Crime Syndicate. And one George Bugs Moran of the Chicago Northside Gang. Have our two key players for uh, 
a wonderful event that's going to happen on Valentine's Day uh, in 1929. Enter player one. <laughs> enter player two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get going here. So when, since, uh, since you have the closest ties to uh, one of the stars of our show, would you like to take us in a little bit uh, on the history of Al Capone and the Chicago Crime Syndicate? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, he took over the Chicago Crime Syndicate in 1925. He su- he succeeded uh, Johnny um, Torrio, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, after- Johnny Torrio <laughs> is an <laughs> Italian mob. Johnny Torrio. Torrio. Uh, you know, when I try so hard not to use my hands too much uh, <laughs> in this podcast, so it doesn't like mess with the video. Um it's going to really bring out my Italian side. But uh, video yeah, on our YouTube so, channel. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. If anyone's like listening through like Spotify or the other podcast ones, get to see my hands moving all the time. Um, so, yeah, so uh, he succeeded uh, Johnny Torrio um, after he retired to Brooklyn following a 1924 assassination attempt. He was like, mm, I'm <laughs> I'm going to get out of this early before someone uh, attempts again. Uh, and so he left it to Al Capone, uh, who had an estimated annual income of over $60 million um, dollars per year. So dude was rolling in it, uh, especially for 1920s money. Yeah, that is an unreal amount of money. Yeah, I did the uh, I did the math on it. His net worth in 1927, just a few short years after taking over the gang, was 100 million US dollars in 1927 money with inflation. This translates to 1 trillion 602 billion. Or wait, am I doing this right? I can't read numbers. That is 1 billion 602 million 310,344.84 US dollars. Thank you. I cannot read the numbers. They are too squiggly for me. So that yeah, is so a billion, billion dollars. He had 1.6 billion. So he was effectively the Pablo Escobar, the El Chapo Guzman of his era. Like this man had money. He could spend it. He could roll around. I mean, he was known for giving money to churches and charities. And actually... That's Did you protection. guys actually know that Al Capone is the reason we have expiration dates on our food? No, I did not. Please explain. Uh, that's a fun one, yeah. Because children were getting sick from drinking unpasteurized milk. So he actually used his money to lobby a bunch of politicians to pass the food and safety uh, laws that we know today that require expiration dates. And that's actually the reason why on certain food items – you'll see an expiration date, even though you just think to yourself, like, well, how does this expire? Like, um, there was a really infamous meme of a uh, hundred million year old salt with an expiration date stamped on the side. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's yeah. That was a, uh, yeah. A big part of why uh, these mobsters who were uh, extorting and killing and uh, doing all sorts of very violent crimes, uh, Big part of why they were protected was uh, not just the fact that they were the only way you could get alcohol, um, but also the fact that there was a degree of reciprocity between them and the community. They didn't; they tended not to do things that hurt the community, and there was a uh, a degree of understanding that by allowing you to exist here and not, you know, not talking about, you know, oh, that's Al Capone's house or that's a safe house or that's a drug den, you were actually getting something out of it you were getting uh you know you were getting a voice in politics or at the very least protection from uh the other more corrupt and uh less friendly institutions of the time and that's also why capone very seldom was prosecuted i mean the they ended up catching him in the end but that was that was the irs which (laughs) there's two things certain in life Death and taxes, and you don't fuck with the IRS. But, like, that's why the Chicago Police Department didn't go after him. As, well, that and the fact that he had half the department on his payroll, but... That helps, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, helps, it's yeah. assistable, yeah. Yeah, additionally, additionally, it's not until uh, 
it's not until uh, the lovely title of this video uh, <laughs> that I'm sure will be present. Uh, it's not until after uh, it's not until after uh, our lovely uh, subject that uh, people even try to prosecute him. Well, and to seg segue right into it, one of the ways Capone uh, consolidated the power and was able to build up his empire was through murder. And you actually see the trend tick upwards. Like, in 1924, there were 16 gang-related murders. In 1929, that number had jumped up to 64. Yeah. And that also just so happened to be the year of our event. Yeah. And I believe I should point out with this statistic, um, this isn't the number of bodies. This is the number of incidents. Ah, that's a good clarification. Um, I, should, I should clarify. It wasn't. 64 people killed it was 64 incidents of murder uh assuming i read everything right uh which i believe i did <laughs> so what you're telling me is that the city of chicago has an issue with gang related murders what chirac never no. okay i just want to make sure i'm get i'm hearing that right because that 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 does not sound right yeah. No, no, no. Don't worry. You're a tourist. You don't understand. Uh, okay, 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, our friend from the border of Indiana insists you're not from Chicago, therefore you're not. <laughs> the I... Indianans, they'd know. I'm going to get uh, so much flack for that comment <laughs> off screen, guys. You're going to love it. Yeah. I, Great job. Yeah, we are being sarcastic. Chicago is, that's one of the things they're known for, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's what leads us to the topic of today's uh, episode is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. One of the most deadly events in the 1920s and one of the most atrocious acts of mob violence that marked this, this era in the city of Chicago. And it also ended the significant gang resistance of, to, Cap to Capone. <laughs> thank you thank you to i have cards i intend to use them we have a lot of names in this episode thanks vanna <laughs> coleman <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> well and the thing about it is it made capone one of the most famous gangsters in the united states and he was yes. dubbed public enemy number one that's got to be like the yep. evil villain like title to go for to be public enemy yep. number one yeah yeah, it was uh, it was the sheer brutality of the St. Valentine's Day massacre that really started uh, to, uh, at the very least, turn public opinion against the mobsters and their life and their lifestyle. It was it was this that you know got the police first actually starting to arrest Al Capone. Uh, it took him another uh, it took him another uh, two years to pin anything on on him, but uh, well. Like I like like Justin mentioned earlier, they're pretty corrupt at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it drew the attention of federal investigators, which is going to be a lot different than you have the Chicago PD investigating. So, yeah. And the thing with that is, like, anytime they tried to pin something on him, they they failed to hold him for more than a cup more than a few months, until, yeah. as I mentioned previously, Frank Wilson of the IRS. He managed to catch Capone on income fraud. Which sadly there is no card for. I'm a little miffed about. <laughs> Enter I have cards fraud. for the bad guys, not any of the good guys. I'm just saying they should have him as a deterrent in the game. I haven't played the game, but they should still have I will, it. I will. The, it, the whole point of the game is that you are attempting to execute the St. Valentine's Day Massacre <laughs> and eliminate all other gangs to your rule in Chicago. There should be side quests for the Frank Wilsons of the people who no. want to play. I'm just no, there are no good guys in this game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, it's like it's life. Family business, not death and taxes. Um, All right, I want to see that board game now. Just putting it out there. Yeah. Oh. Yes, use that cloud of years. All zero followers of it. <laughs> hey, I have like nine followers on TikTok. I could get it done. I'll actually make a video. <laughs> but, but regardless, um, so he was arrested. Al Gavone was arrested uh, for income fraud by Frank Wilson in 1931. And he was sentenced was 11 years in prison. Yeah. 
and he served it in Atlanta and Alcatraz, which when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, Alcatraz was like an actual prison and not just like the ghost prison, because that's what it is in my mind. It's a haunted area, but like people actually serve time there. And I always forget that. So yeah, the so- thing. Gwen has learned about Alcatraz from the Nicolas Cage movie with Sean Connery. <laughs> but, no, no, I, I haven't seen it. See, this I, is in my mind. I love Alcatraz, though, because it's it's got this weird double connotation. Like, it's seen as this really far, desolate area, like, because it's an island in the, in the San Francisco Bay, uh, and you cannot escape it, so they say. There's been several attempts but only one is reported to have potentially succeeded where three guys just disappeared and were never seen again it's presumed mm-hmm. that they died they in the waters drowned. which are frigid but uh um, oh, yeah <laughs> the thing is a lot of people see alcatraz and they see the dilapidated conditions but what they don't realize is it was actually considered a pretty good spot to be in because unlike most federal penitentiaries at that time it actually had hot water and they did it for a purpose because you get acclimated to the hot water. So if you were trying to escape in the cold water, you would have more of an adverse reaction to it. Yeah. Oh, that's shifty. I love it. But like, yeah, because of then- course, you know, in a rip sitting in a riptide bay isn't a dangerous enough. <laughs> Which there are oh, sharks yeah. in there as well. <laughs> yep. Shark infested riptide bay. Let's see what we can do also in a major metropolitan area because you've got the city of san francisco and oakland like literally just surrounding you yeah but he was now it's a place for tourists yeah which you have to schedule months in advance but um capone was released in 1939 so he only ended up serving what eight years of his 11 service yep okay and And then he yeah And then he died in 1947. Yep. In Florida. Oh, that's the worst place to go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He died uh he died fishing in his swimming pool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh he was uh invalid uh, by the time of his uh of his release his uh mind was not functioning. Okay. Um, so he was, uh, he would sit on, on, you know, on the side of his pool with a fishing rod, uh, in the water, legitimately thinking he was fishing. I was about to say, like, did he actually put fish in his pool? Cause some rich people do that. No, he was, <laughs> it was just a body of water and he would legitimately think he was at a lake fishing. He, his mind was gone, which is a big part of why they released him. And it just continued to deteriorate over time. Wow, uh, and I mean that's so young too. The cause of which was syphilis. Yep. Which another fun fact is Al Capone because <laughs> he's full of them was one of the first patients in the United States to be treated with penicillin. Really? Yeah. Damn. Didn't work though. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Medicine doesn't work. Like a mother, but <laughs> All right. All right. So, so now we uh, go to our next major person, which I think Column should take since yeah, he's a resident Irish. Yeah. Fun fact. All right. So we go to the North Side Gang now with uh, the lo- with the uh, lovely uh, uh, nicknamed uh, George Bugs Moran, um, who himself was not Irish. Uh, so Bugs Moran. Uh, came to power in the north side gang uh uh in 1924 alongside another man for whom we do not have a picture uh earl weiss um this was a joint takeover from his childhood friend uh dian obanion uh following obanion's death uh in uh 1924 uh his uh how should i say this um obanion uh as head of the north side gang was eliminated by the chicago crime syndicate under johnny torrio and it is because of uh obanion's death that uh torrio the attempt on his life occurs 
which brings Al Capone into power. So <laughs> literally Bugs Moran brings Al Capone into power uh, following uh, following the uh, death of O'Banion. Uh, Moran takes over from Earl Weiss uh, as sole ruler in 1926 uh, uh, as Earl dies uh, attempting to kill Torrio. Uh, and this uh, this leaves uh, Bugs Moran in charge. Now, Bugs Moran was uh, someone who, like Al Capone, represented the increased violence of the gangster life and the gangster era. He came in. He came into power at a time when you were wealthier, you were stronger, you had more of a stake in things, and thus you had more brutality to hold on to it. Uh, Bugs Moran uh, was favored. Uh, his favorite form of enforcing his will uh, was drive-by shootings. Uh, he uh, he prefer he did not prefer, unlike Al Capone, to uh, go into a place and shoot it up. He preferred to fire from the streets and keep moving. Uh, very much a hit and run uh, type of uh, type of character. Which is interesting oh. because I think that that whole idea also has permeated into a lot of mob culture. Because you think of suicide doors, you think of the Tommy guns being poked out the door, like people getting shoved out. I wonder how yeah. much of that is rooted in in his tactics. Yeah, it was it was his technique. And uh, from 1926 to 1929, Al Capone and Bugs Moran were in essentially a never-ending gang war. Uh, in 1929 uh, uh, Bugs Moran he is not present uh, at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre like just as Al Capone is not present uh, neither men are present however it does eliminate enough of the high ranking uh, North Side gang members that even though Bugs Moran is still around North Side gang cannot oppose uh, Al Capone and he effectively uh, slinks off to uh, essentially committing petty robberies until 1946. When he got arrested. At which point the, at which point the FBI does catch up to him in Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Gotcha. Yeah. What a downfall. He serves for ten years, uh, which was about the same amount of time it took for them to uh, pin yet another armed robbery he had committed on him. So he's effectively released from prison for. Uh, a very short period of time, only to be then immediately rearrested and sentenced to prison again. I, I feel like 10 years for him and 11 years for Capone, those definitely don't seem like very hefty prison sentences. Like 10 years, 11 years is still a lot. But when you consider the body counts and the amount of criminal enterprises that they ran... Well, that's because the uh, what they were tried for in a court of law were not... Uh, the worst of their crimes they were never none of them were ever tried for murder or extortion or bribery al capone was tried for one instance of tax fraud hmm. and uh, uh bugs moran was tried uh first the first 10 year sentence was for one account of armed robbery and the second sentence uh which he never served on account of uh kicking the bucket one year uh, into it uh was for a second separate instance of armed robbery uh, these people had committed uh, over the course of ten to, you know, of ten to thirty years, depending on uh, which one we're talking about. They would committed hundreds and hundreds of violent felonies, but they were only ever arrested for one or two. Now, the one thing that I do find kind of curious and interesting is, what if Al Capone just paid his taxes and, like, you would have a lot of unaccounted for earnings, which obviously would raise red flags, but like. Considering how many people he had on his pay list, it's. I don't think it'd be unreasonable to suspect he might have still walked. We'll never know. We never know. Yeah. What we do know is that he wasn't going to declare uh, extorting the police on his uh, on his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think he'd want to list uh, certain people under like, his uh, payroll. No, yeah, he just runs like, a distribution network. 
just you know, it's like so i got this from robbing a bank uh where should i put that on my form <laughs> oh is that under section 24b or 24c uh, effectively i believe the reason uh Al Capone did not declare the income was because in order to declare the income, he would have had to declare the source and the source was crime. <laughs> uh, so you had to admit that in your taxes yeah, for the yeah. federal government to see. Uh, essentially either you admit to bootlegging racketeering and extortion, or you just pretend that the extra million dollars you're holding fell off a truck <laughs> and well, hope no one questions it. Interesting. <clears throat> Let's be honest. A man holding a hundred million dollars, like Al Capone was, can afford to give whatever anyone who's asking questions wants. <laughs> yeah, like how how much money would would set would shut your mouth? How much can I put in there to yeah. just keep it quiet? And how much are you willing to ask for before we start uh, loading guns? <laughs> so, so, what's kind of interesting is on the south branch of the Chicago River. There's a section where, to this day, you can see a lot of bubbling, which comes from corpses decomposing in the river, because it was right by the old stockyards. And what they would do is a lot of the old corpses they just chuck in the river. But um, it's reported that the uh, that the mobs also tended to use that same spot. Yeah, just don't drink from the river. That's well, that's why we sent it to St. Louis. <laughs> that's why we reversed the flow. Like, uh, it's not going in our drinking water. It can go into theirs. Yeah. <laughs> Got to pay the money for those extra filters. Yes. But yep. to get back on track, though. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, bug. You know, we've got a uh, we've got a background for our two uh, major players here, Al Capone and Bugs Moran. The stage is set. Uh, You've got your I, two competitors. What I, will happen next? I think it's time to jump into our lovely title topic here, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yep. It was February 14th, 1929. Yeah. Oh, no, he's doing a noir intro. Everybody run. <laughs> <laughs> Someone stop him really quickly. The location Maybe, uh, was 2122 North Clark Street. Well, you gotta do the accent if you're gonna go for it. (laughs) I I can't do a good transatlantic accent like they used to. Let's go for Jersey. It'll be close enough. It was 1914. (laughs) No, it was 1929. (laughs) All right. And I lost it. Okay, congrats. Before it was November, now it's 1914. Lovely outtake there. Lovely outtake there. Thought that uh, St. Valentine's Day occurred Ooh. in November. Um, yeah, Gotta we're not going to talk about that. Oh, of course yeah. not. No, so, hush, hush. All right, I'm going to take <laughs> it from you now. Yeah. So it's it. St. Valentine's Day, February 14th, uh, 1929. Um, uh, the address is 2122 North Clark Street, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, this building uh, in which it would take place, uh, unfortunately, no longer exists. It was torn down. And the wall in which the massacre happened is now located at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. But you can still visit the plot where it happened as it is still a tourist attraction in Chicago. So it's funny you say that because I went to, there's a restaurant across the street, the Chicago Oven and Pizza Grind, Oven Pizza Grinder. And yeah, we went there for dinner and I didn't realize that was the location of the massacre until I looked it up on the maps and I'm like, Wait a second. Great job. <laughs> You're really doing this tourist thing really well, Justin. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. So the dispute is, of course, between the uh, very much Italian gang of the Chicago Crime Syndicate under Al Capone and the uh, the Irish Northside gang under uh, George Bugs Moran. Uh, a recent dispute uh, over... Uh, some of their bootlegging operations uh, had occurred, uh, which uh, prompted Al Capone to uh, push for, uh, shall we say, retaliation. Uh, four of uh, Al Capone's uh, gangsters uh, disguised themselves as police officers, and uh, they entered the establishment. 
li uh, lined up and uh, shot uh, everyone inside the everyone inside the building. Uh, they hid their they hid machine guns under their overcoats so as to smuggle in uh, the weapons without raising suspicion from people outside or even those inside the building until it was already too late. Um, these hitmen were never identified. There is uh, um, some, <coughs> excuse me, give me that. There is some uh, suspected members of the, of the squad, which unfortunately I do not believe I have uh, cards for. The hitmen uh -huh. were John Scalise, Albert Anselmi, Jack McGurn, and then Frank Rio. But, Callum, should I add the, the bit of information at the very end there about uh -huh. the weapons? Oh, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. You can talk about the guns and the murder. So, this... Yeah. The interesting thing is they actually located the guns that were used in the murders and have the serial numbers, 2347 and 7580. Those are the specific numbers. And they were actually found at Fred Burke's Michigan bungalow, which, Gwen? <laughs> I love that it's a fucking bungalow, dude. Like, yes, I'm a hitman for the mob. I've murdered countless people, big shots, low shots, whatever it is. And I retire in a fucking bungalow. <laughs> yeah. And they, they determined that it was, in fact, the murder weapons because... Um, they they tested the rounds and they tested the guns themselves. And then even further, those same guns were also traced back to the murder of Brooklyn mob boss Frankie Yale. And this confirmed the long-held suspicion that Burke was responsible for Yale's death. So clearly someone who's uh, got a little bit of experience in, uh, in you know, taking out the trash. And... Yep. Yep. And uh, fun fact with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, uh, the exact time of the massacre was uh, meant to coincide with the inspection uh, by uh, the Northside gang for a shipment of whiskey in uh, what was essentially one of their uh, little hideaways for it. It was meant to uh, target and eliminate one man, George Bugs Moran. Was However, late? he was running late that day and he saw <laughs> the police officers entering his establishment assumed he was getting raided and just turned around and walked down the street. <laughs> wow. Talk about like per being late to the party and it working out in your favor and surviving. Yeah. I was going to say, that's a lot of luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yep. Yeah. The people inside, however, were not so lucky. Uh, got a lovely list of all the victims here. Uh, it was, Six gangsters and one uh, bystander. I, 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 we talked about this you off take, camera. You, you take exception to the word bystander. Uh, we'll go through the names in just a second. However, I will point out that the last name on our list, the only one of the victims we do not have a card for, unfortunately, was not a fit. Was not a gang. Was not a gangster. Nor was he technically affiliated with the Northside Gang. Technically. Technically. He was a uh, optometrist and gambler by the name of Reinhard Schwimmer, or Schwimmer, who, who quit his optometry position to become a gambler and would associate himself with the gang members. So it's like when all your friends are in the mob and you actively gamble for a living, usually illegally, to say you're an innocent bystander, I think is being a little too... Well, you know, it's, you know, gambling, you know, you know, placing bets with a mob bookie. That's the same thing as being a mob bookie, which is the same thing as being a mob hitman. Are we right? <laughs> but it doesn't imply innocence. That's the thing. He left out the word innocence. Okay. So anyway, uh, would you like to read us <laughs> off of our victims here? All the lovely gangsters. Yes. So the deceased included gangsters, Adam Heyer, Frank Gusenberg. Pete Goosenberg, John May, L. Weinshank, and James Clark. And That's right. We got pictures for all of them. 
except for Schwimmer. Because he wasn't a gangster. He was a bystander. We'll fight you. <laughs> he was a customer. Yep. Or a supplier. I don't know. I don't know how gamblers would be considered there. Uh, Probably in that economic chain. He's someone you take money from. If he doesn't produce the money, you break his legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's, okay, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like it's like a loan shark. Like, what is the? Well, I guess that's a little bit more easier for customer or whatnot. But yeah. Yep. Uh, what I what is my favorite part of the whole massacre? Because obviously, I have favorite parts. Um, is that uh, Frank Gusenberg was still alive when the actual police arrived? However, he stuck to the code: snitches get stitches, and he was gonna die not being a rat. And he refused to give the identities of his killers, which I have to respect. Like, yeah. that is that is such a boss move. Yeah, his last words were reportedly, nobody shot me. <laughs> I love but that. sir, you are oh bleeding out of multiple orifices. Are you sure nobody shot you? I like to, I like I like to personally believe that uh the uh that the uh, the uh, Al Capone hitmen pulled a an Odysseus here and introduced themselves as literally nobody, <laughs> and they're just following through on this. You know, God. nobody shot me. That's like those <laughs> really broken RPG games where you can change the name of characters. So it's like, I I am nobody. Nobody yep. did anything. Yeah. Nobody yep. went to work. See what what it reminds me of is the the Monty Python tis but a scratch like don't pay attention to this like nothing happened kind of thing. It wasn't that big of an impact. Like I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, this uh lovely bloody uh bloody Valentine's Day, which is just brilliant. So this raid was the retaliation for the liquor hijackings and the murder of uh, Capone's allies. Um, but this was also, I think Colin mentioned this before, um, kind of ended the backlash for Capone or confrontation between Capone and Bugs. Yes. Uh, the, the six dead gangsters were uh, the Northside gang's main movers and shakers. Uh, this were the heavy hitters for that gang. And without them, there's really no infrastructure for Bugs Moran to operate through. Um, a, uh, a fun fact, uh, what uh, the Chicago Crime Syndicate claimed was the uh, direct motivation for uh, this attack was evidently uh, the Northside gang uh, was offering 50,000 U.S. dollars to anyone who killed Al Capone. <laughs> So it, what you're saying is this was a really fucked up series of love letters between bitter rivals. No, there was absolutely no love involved <laughs> here at all. Um, but, uh, you I know. think that is like, I don't know, like a dark Hallmark movie of like love <laughs> between gangsters. Like, I feel like I'd, I'd read this in like a really messed up like BL you could buy for like 50 cents on Amazon. <laughs> I'm going to have to write watch now. Hallmark movies. I really do. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're two so gangsters terrible. trapped in love, but they're no. bitter rivals of no. opposing gangs. I don't no. think you have to write it, Justin. I'm pretty sure no. it's been written. Historical no. fan fiction. Damn it, Having said love. that, Everything these two have just said is not what happened. These people hated each other. They were financial and uh, territorial rivals. Uh, they openly resorted to murdering one another, as we can see here. Obvious, obviously. I feel like the laughing and the sarcasm in our tone really uh, hits the point that that's not real, but... I just I you would be surprised the people I know who will take everything here as gospel. <laughs> I still just That is true. I can't get over Frank Gusenberg though. Like literally the fact that you're sitting there dying. What is the worst that's going to happen if you rat them out? They're going to kill you? <laughs> you live by a fucking code, dude. You live by a code and you stick to it. 
And if you're dying yeah. on your deathbed, are you still going to live to the code? Like, I respect awesome. the commitment, but come on. Additionally, That's a Justin, code that you respect. You don't just throw it away. Ad additionally, Justin, there was uh, there is also one detail that we did bring up earlier. Al Capone's men were in police uniforms when they did this. The yeah. real police arrived and then asking this man who did it. Um, at this point, he has no way of knowing whether it's the real police that shot him or someone else. I feel like you would kind of, well, okay. I was about to say, remember, this is 1920. This is 1929 Chicago Police Department. Well, I was just going to make the comment of, like, the police won't just barge in and open fire. And then I, yeah, no, I, I, I realized the, the folly of my way. And I. Refused. I get they're white men, but still. Yeah. It's not, it's not. <laughs> Not race into this. Uh, police brutality has existed since police existed. What you mean when you give? And that was not what occurred power. here. But let's be honest: when you tell people, when you when when, what, when you look like the police and you kill somebody, and then the police ask who you did, who did it, you ain't talking to the police. The the thing that I I really find interesting about it is Capone was clearly the main sub uh, suspect in this like massacre. But nobody was ever tried. Like, they didn't have enough evidence. They didn't have enough, like, actual reasoning. And Capone was in Miami at the time. So oh, it's I like, we think you did it. I was in Florida. We think you did it. And it's like, well, oh, what better place it. to be? What better place to be? You know you're going to do this. You know they're going to look at you. How could I have done it? I'm on the other side of the country. <laughs> you exactly. ain't got no You alibi. always get an alibi. Yep. Yep. <laughs> But the thing is, you didn't it have cameras at the airports. You could have just bought the ticket and still done it. Did Not that I'm planning a murder or anything. I just think it's interesting. What did they have like active commercial airliners in 1929? Yeah, they had commercial airlines in 1929. Yeah, they had planes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, no. My question is like <laughs> the prolif the proliferation of it because when you think of like really prolific prolific airlines it comes in the 1950s and 60s with like pan america or trans america like i mean it, if you, you want i will google actual like airlines so the first commercial airliner and the first commercial flight took place on january 1st 1914 Okay. 15 years this is this event is 1929 so 15 years after the first commercial flight uh there are commercial planes granted it is not the yeah. uh the high luxury uh you know classic uh what's his name the one who jumped out of the airplane after stealing all that money db cooper yeah this is not the classic db cooper era of airlines however commercial air travel does exist uh within you know developed countries like the united states I guess I was also yeah. thinking like cost, but then also I realized who we're talking about. So yeah, just ignore my. We're talking about a man yeah. whose net worth is one point six billion dollars. He owns an airplane at this point. Yeah, I was about to say this is like Zuckerberg uh, levels of money, even though he just lost a bunch of money recently. But or is it like a Dinkelberg? <laughs> Dinkelberg. Yeah, but like the KLM and. Um, all that stuff it existed in the 1920s. So, yeah. And uh, one of the uh, one of the fun facts here too is um, with the uh, as part of the uh, fallout for this uh, for this event, uh, one of the uh, longest uh, repercussions. Uh, mm. You know, we know that you know Bugs Moran here. He did not die in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Instead, he waited seven years to kill on Valentine's Day in 1936 in a bowling alley, one of the suspected gunmen, one Jack Machine Gun Jack McGurn, who is the only suspected gunman that we have a picture for. So pettiness really did run deep. I don't know if at that point it would be petty that, you know... 
all the people in your gang that probably at least felt like a family to you were all yeah. massacred. Yeah, all the people that, that mattered are dead. Well, the reason I say that is you feel like at a certain point when all the people you care about are dead, your criminal emp- empire and enterprise is now in ruins. I mean, I guess that is a good villain arc to exact your revenge. Again, I don't think that's petty. Your entire life and, like, self-worth and all, like, your family, friends that you really close your to money. have all been taken from you. You have to resort to these petty bank robberies. It, yeah, I'd murder someone in a bowl. I should house. also We should also point out that that was in 36, the height of the Depression. Yeah. That was the height of the Depression, and it is, uh, I think it is personally, I personally find it very poetic that um, Bugs Moran takes vengeance for the St. Valentine's Day massacre on Valentine's Day. Yeah, like that is that, that is that is a lovely little uh, that's a lovely little tidbit right there of uh, and uh, it did occur in 1936, which I do not <clears throat> no, sorry, that does not make you know. So it is the high of the depression and it is also i believe one of the lowest points for bugs moran in his career as the depression is in full swing and he does not have any allies or criminal empire so he's at the bottom and he's still he, he's still out for blood but at least he wasn't like al in uh in alcatraz by that point no he gets another 10 years before he is arrested and uh and uh sentenced to uh to prison he also dies of lung lung cancer too so you know that's gotta be fun 1957 Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary Bugs Moran dies of lung cancer a lot of these gangsters really don't have uh, what you would consider a blaze of glory ending like for all the gunning down and shooting each other they die pretty sad conditions lung cancer in a federal prison um completely messed up from syphilis and fishing in a swimming pool for Al Capone. Yeah. Like that is, has to be the saddest of ways of ending for someone who really was one of the most powerful men who shaped history in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think is interesting because then we, you can segue into the influence that this period have. Like you mentioned the, the noir style of film that was captured and even still there's even more like, public imagination because it solidified popular images of Chicago mobsters crime and the carnage that happened the game that you're showing off and the two movies that Gwen's holding up and yes. even one of the most popular yes, film series of all time like the the idea of trench coats tommy guns bootlegging cold-blooded violence and brutality <laughs> you just really love that sentence don't you oh, yeah it is poetic yeah. Yep. Yeah. One uh, of I the, do. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Just, uh, I feel like pointing out, like, with the film and everything like that, um, uh, one of the uh, earlier uh, and very classic uh, mob movies from 1932, at a time when uh, when these gangs and stuff were still very active, <laughs> um, is the movie Scarface. Yes. And um, I know that. Uh, Unfortunately, the camera is not able to pick up on the writing in these cards. But Al Capone's, uh, you know, gangster name was Al Scarface. And the, the that is the movie series that most people are familiar with are, are the Scarface films. Although not quite the 1930 rendition, but more in the 1980s edition with Al Pacino. Like, it, it took a lot of liberties from Capone's life and from the stuff he lived through. Yep. yep. There's additionally the Godfather franchise, among many others. Yes. Yeah, I uh, held up the Goodfellas, and I also held up Some Like It Hot, which the opening scene actually takes place in Chicago, um, and a murder scene that is reminiscent of, you know, the massacre and, and other hits that were like that that took place. So, great movie with Marilyn Monroe. Definitely suggested to people. Not too mobstery. Yeah, we can uh, we can keep listing all sorts of movies, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, <laughs> uh, but of speaking them. of movies, there was actually one made about this specific event in 1967. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is aptly named the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, I actually found a trailer for it at one point looking through everything. And uh, it is exactly uh, what you would expect from uh, 1860s uh, uh, Hollywood. Um, yeah. It is, uh, it's a lot of text on the screen of in full gory detail. <laughs> Yes. With a lot of with a lot of over the overhead overhead narration. Yeah. This is yeah, a very I, very old style film. And when I was searching for images for uh, the thumbnail for this video for YouTube, um, that those were one of the first things that came up. It was the actual photos from the Valentine's Day massacre with the bloody bodies and everything, and then right next to it are scenes from that film. Um, which you can obviously, you know, tell what's real and what's not, but uh, very, uh, very interesting depictions. Also, uh, I love that the newspaper just had the pictures of the dead corpses, like on the front page. Like you can see this man's body and face messed up. And they were like, ah, yes, front page news. So trigger warning with that, but if you are interested to view said photograph, the yes. St. Valentine's Day Massacre Wikipedia page has it as its header. So you can see the image in which we are referencing right then and there. Yeah. And uh, I'd like also to take a moment here to note uh, with the uh, 1967 St. Valentine's Day Massacre movie, uh, that movie uh, was filmed uh, or put, I should say, released uh, the same year that the uh, that the warehouse was raised. Uh, it was burned down in 1967. Uh, so unfortunately, it does no longer stand. But the one aspect of the of the warehouse that does still uh, survive is actually the wall in which the men were shot against. And it yep. is now a permanent exhibit at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the massacre has its own exhibit and gallery and seems to be the entire wing of the museum. And uh, as a brand new type of content, which we're going to do, we'll go firsthand and check out the exhibit, um, which will show up on our YouTube channel as I am venturing out to actually go on location to see what this entails. Yep. <laughs> Sound like a an explorer. You're like I shall go on to the yep. location. And, uh, <laughs> We're live on location. We're here at the mob museum. If you look behind me, you see the wall in which the mean was shot. He's the most dangerous <laughs> Italian in the world. Ah, he's angry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, All right, no, uh, I don't do that impression. All right, so uh, you've heard of Crocodile Dundee meet Gecko Woods. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Yoko Woods, uh, would you like to say any reason why this museum might be located in, say, Las Vegas as opposed to Chicago? Like, why would there be a mob museum in Vegas? Oh, God. Well, you know, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, when you have millions and millions of dollars, billions worth when you account for inflation, what are you going to do with all that money? Where are yeah, you for, invest uh, in infrastructure and the children, obviously. So, well, so Justin, just do this for everyone who may have been in a coma in a coma since Herbert Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what Colin is alluding to, and what I am trying to be very uh, coy about, is the mob funded most of the casinos and most of what the establishments that we are uh, known that we know in Vegas, as it was one of the only places where gambling was legalized. So they opened up a ton of casinos, and this was one of the ways in which they were able to actually uh, launder a lot of their money, because you can uh, claim it as a part of the business expenses. And Vegas really hit its stride in, what, the 1930s and 40s with the Rat Pack and Sinatra and crew, and, you know, it was a very prominent hotspot for anyone who really enjoyed debauchery and, you know, just really degenerate um, activities. And today that whole premise and idea is really, it's exploded because it's known for the shows. It's known for, you know, (laughs) the same debauchery 60, 70 years later. The magic acts, the tigers, you know, all the fun stuff. Let's be honest. The murder is quieter. The (laughs) the rest of it just kept going. (laughs) Yeah. 
basically. I mean, that's a sign of a good investment. It's yep. still yielding year over year. Yep. Just don't go into any rooms without cameras, guys. <laughs> well, and then be aware with the rooms that do have cameras. <laughs> Especially if they're rooms that shouldn't have cameras. Yes. <laughs> and you're taking it a completely different way. <laughs> listen, hey, listen. Safety is key. Always check the hotel rooms you are in. Yes. Hotel rooms, any public bathrooms, like, just be weary. Yes. This is, just the, this is the public safety section of the massacre episode. Yeah. <laughs> we want all our viewers to be safe. Yeah. But I, I think it's really important to highlight, like, there... There's been a lot of fetish, fetishization of mob culture and a lot of fetishization of these prohibition era gangsters. And we talked about some of the positives and negatives associated with them. But at the end of the day, they were breaking the law and they were unfortunately ending lives and battling in the streets. And it really was this dangerous, violent crime. And it's very interesting because usually when it captivates the public attention, it morphs and it melds from being this horrific tragedy to this item of fascination. I mean, we see it constantly with serial killers or like really tragic events. People want to learn more about it. Yep. Yeah. True crime documentaries are an exploding facet of movies and TV shows. Yeah. And we should definitely point out as part of our public service announcement segment here, um, that these uh, that these people and these events are not things to be idolized or emulated. Uh, this is the brutal murder of other people for money when you are already extremely wealthy. <laughs> yes, all the jokes uh, are made in no, complete jest. Yeah, there 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 is there is no there is no I'm starving on the street and I stab you for a loaf of bread excuse here. These yeah. people had more money than. Uh, most legitimate businessmen, most politicians, these were some of the wealthiest men of their time. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy of like this evil venture, this evil business, and these people who, like you said, all met really tragic and early ends. Like I don't think there's a single one that ended up living to be a hundred. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't exactly call uh, Bugs Moran uh, an early death. Yeah, he did live a lot later. Yeah. I mean, another 20 years or 10 years on top of Capone, but still dying in prison for lung cancer. Yeah, that is true. However, he did die of lung cancer at the age of 64. Yeah. So, so it was, a uh, you know, unlike most of these people who did not make it out of the 30s or if they did they did so in prison and dying shortly thereafter bugs moran is not caught until after world war ii and he does not die until he is an old man which is a very rare exception in his defense though you do have world war ii which did preoccupy a pretty solid portion of the country's attention for about four years a decade after this happened yeah. so you know <laughs> There's a time gap there. Moran is the lucky one. <laughs> Most of the others died horribly. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is like a total side note, um, but uh, for the Batman comics in Gotham, I'm pretty sure a lot of it is based off of the 1920s, 1930s Chicago, especially when you get into the Falcone storylines um, with the gang wars. It is really reminiscent of this time period and how um, Al Capone and Moran, you know, had had these rivalries um, and, and the way that they interacted with the communities. I may be the only huge comic nerd here. No, I, I know that. Yeah, Fal okay. yeah, yeah. Know you about guys that. are giving me some weird looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the fictional Falcons in uh, in Gotham City—they're meant to serve as the normal criminals that we would know and understand, and as such, they emulate the typical mobster family. Uh, that is the distorted popularization of what people like Al Capone and Bugs Moran were, as seen in you know various films that we have mentioned, like uh, Goodfellas and Scarface and. Uh, you know, Godfather, all the others. Yeah, so it's not just general, like, 
mobster movies that we would typically think this of. Is, but they've kind is, of seeped into a lot of places. This isn't. This is uh, something that exists throughout uh, American culture. It's just an era. It's like you know, there's gangsters, there's cowboys, and uh, there's the modern day. Yep. Yeah, you know. it's a great way to describe America: gangsters and cowboys. <laughs> well, there's well, it's the it's a it's a it's a cultural phenomenon and a cultural icon that continues to exist and captivate the, you know, just like the Wild West gangs, uh, the Wild West cowboys aren't what you know mo- the majority of lives were uh, for people out there in the Wild West. The yeah. popular gangsters are that we see on TV. That's not how it actually went. It was brutal and violent, and you know, sixty-four murders. Separate instances of murder in uh, in one year by Al Capone. <laughs> yeah. That is not a, uh, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. That's not a particularly neighborly lifestyle. Nope. Yes, but I, I hope everyone enjoyed our yeah. Valentine's Day massacre. Uh, hope it really gave you guys some bleeding hearts there and trying to uh, understand what happened. I'm terrible at puns. Just allow me to have this one. No. Yes. And (laughs) if you enjoyed this episode of historical humans, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms. Uh, Obviously every single podcast is recorded and uploaded onto YouTube under the historical humans tag. Um, It drops on every spot, every podcast platform, Spotify, Google podcasts. We're trying to put it on Apple music, but that's on hold at the moment. Um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All of these links to our social medias are going to be in the show notes and in the description down below. So like, please be sure to subscribe and to follow the podcast and really let us know what you think and let us know your thoughts and comments on it. Yep. And be sure to hit the like button. If you want to see more of Gwen's cat judging her uh, attempts at puns <laughs> in English. Or, we'll uh, bring that back. or my dog barking in the background that I've been trying to mute out. We'll have an animal day speaking. one day. We'll just introduce yes. them all. <laughs> yeah. so, but, also, be sure to check us out on TikTok as we do um, our badasses in history on there um, that we'll be uploading more frequently. Yes, we are posting some short form uh, TikTok content. Just quick little blast of some of the coolest fe- figures in modern history. Maybe even past history. We haven't really thought that far, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wing in it at the moment, guys. Uh, but we'll get there. Just putting out as much content as we can. Yes. Uh, but next week, we will be covering the Tulsa riots uh, as well. So uh, be sure to check that video out as it's, you know, I think... Not to compare events, but I think it's a far more uh, important event than this, you know, kind of fun one that we covered, if I can (laughs) use that uh, description. Yeah, for being a short month, February is a very dark one. So, yeah, the Tulsa race riot will will drop on February 21st. So be sure to keep uh, up to date with that. And. We figured for Black History Month, it would be an appropriate and honestly important thing to talk about, especially now that we're starting to see purging of these topics from the American public school system. So it's really important to keep talking about this and to share it with people and share it with others. In the meantime, uh, we hope you enjoy what we've done here and happy Valentine's Day. Yes, please comment your favorite Valentine's Day historical event in the comments comments not comments or, or uh where's the judging cat where's the judging cat <laughs> she's right next to me don't worry she's giving me the stink eye all right well thank you guys for watching we'll catch you all in two weeks have a nice day Bye.